I am Andy Brown, and this is the Lunchbox Podcast. Today, I'm joined by an author and editor who's been described by her two grown-up sons as professionally weird and thinks that an immaculate house is a sign of a wasted life. It's Sue Barnard. Hello, Andy. How are you? I'm very good, Sue. How are you doing? Oh, not too badly, thank you. It's uh, quite early in the morning for deep questions like that, really. You better ask me again when I've had some coffee. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Certainly will. Uh, so, thank you for joining me today. Much appreciated. Uh, as I said, you're uh, you're an author of uh, a number of books. You're also an editor with Crooked Cat and Oslot Press. That's right. Yes. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about your uh, about your books? Yes, of course. Well, well uh, as you say, I'm the author of six books. In fact, the sixth one has just come out last week. My first one happened almost by accident. Really, that was the Ghostly Father, which was written in basically in in response to the prompt, write the book you want to read. Now, the book I've always wanted to read is the alternative version of Romeo and Juliet, the one in which things work out better for them than the ending that Shakespeare gave them. I thought, why should there not be such a book? And the answer came back, well, why not indeed? And if it doesn't exist already, then go ahead and write it. And at the time, I was writing it just for myself because it was the ending I've always wanted. But to cut a very long story short, it was first published in 2014. And a lot of people were kind enough to say, oh, I like this. This is better ending than the original. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds as though I'm not the only person who uh, thinks Shakespeare got that one wrong. But um, having said that, of course, Shakespeare was basing it on an existing story anyway. So uh, I think we can allow him a little, cut him a bit of slack there. Uh, And then since then, uh, I've written a couple of, what you say, romantic intrigue, I suppose. The second one was called Nice Girls Don't, which is um, a search for family secrets, really. That's set in the early 80s. And the book that came out last week is a companion volume to that. Um, which ties up a loose end which was unintentionally left dangling in Nice Girls Don't. Uh, and that book's called Finding Nina. Um, and in Nice Girls Don't, mention is made of a wartime baby who was given up for adoption. And this is the story of what happened to that that baby. What prompted you to, to go ahead and, and tie up that loose end then, if it wasn't even intentional? Well, no, it was just something that happened to be mentioned uh, by, in a conversation with two of the characters. And I only realised afterwards, I thought, well, there's actually another story here. Um, if um, you know, if I give some thought to this, I can probably make a bit more of it. I mean, I don't know if you ever watched Long Lost Family, which um, started again this week, but my own family history is very... Um, unusual, shall we say. Uh, and I, I watch Long Lost Family without fail, and half the time I find myself something cracking. I could have written a script for this. <laughs> There's some really, really interesting sort of family histories out there, uh, and uh, it's um, they're very, very good source material for, for fiction, really, even though some of it may be based on fact. I think it's uh, topical as well with the DNA genealogy that people are starting to do at the moment. I've, I've seen some stories in the papers recently of uh, deep family secrets that have been unearthed yes. with families doing DNA swabs. Well, yes, of course. Also, um, well, to, to share a story from my own family history, and um, which I've discovered from talking to friends is not by any means uncommon. My great-great-grandparents celebrated their golden wedding a year early. having dug deep into the um, free BMD, uh, so the birth, marriages and deaths records, I discovered that they were married only four months before the birth of their first child. 
And so I think they they realised that in order to keep the secret from anyone who could count up to nine, which is just about anybody, um, uh, they they had to celebrate their golden wedding a respectable 16 months before their first child's 50th birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and when I, I told one of my aunts about this, she said, my goodness, you know, there was a rumour that Granny was pregnant, but nobody dared believe it because she was so prim and proper. I remember their golden wedding, she said. it was I was five at the time, um, which was... Um, after they'd been married for 49 years. <laughs> so mathematically it all adds up now. It does, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for that. Now, um, the uh, the premise of the Lunchbox podcast is I've got a board here with 64 different random questions on it. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to pick eight of those over the course of uh, today's episode. And uh, you, you can do that simply by choosing a number between 1 and 64. I'll play the clip. And you can answer the question. Ready when you are. Okay, Sue, so give me your first number. Uh, number five, please. Number five is this one. Did you like school? Um. Oh, gosh. Yes and no. Um. I liked the stuff I enjoyed doing, but parts of it were some things I dreaded. Um, sport in particular. I was never any good at sport. Um, and art. Now, art was a bit of a contentious issue, really, because our teacher was worse than useless. We got the impression that he wasn't interested in anybody who wasn't already a budding genius. So he didn't actually teach us anything. Um, in fact, thinking about it, I'm, I'm sure he'd only gone into teaching because he couldn't make it as a commercial artist. And out of a class of 28 of us, at least... 27 were doomed to mediocrity before we'd even picked up a pencil so art was something that I I always thought I couldn't do um, and it was only thanks to a dear friend a couple of years ago actually who said there's no right and wrong way with art just because you were badly taught doesn't mean you can't do it and she showed me that yes there are ways of producing reasonable pieces of artwork even if you did have a shaky start like I did as for sport, well, in a typical 1960s sports teachers, PE teachers, they're all raving sadists in my view. <laughs> Gosh, that, that was terrible. The compulsory showers afterwards, when you're at that age and you're a bit self-conscious about body image and so on, the last thing you need is to be thrown into a, a communal shower with to sort of 28 other people. <laughs> and did you always have a passion for writing, uh, English creative writing, or is that something that you've you've found and honed later in life? Again, a bit of both, really. I think the, um, the compulsory composition exercises that we had to do, as it, was, as it was then called, something that, you know, I think I've done all my life, really, because uh, we did it at school. And, and then, um, then subsequently, you know, I dabbled with... Poetry, short stories, the occasional stroppy letter to the Times, um, and uh, but nothing more serious than than that until until I had the idea about the novel, and that was um, well. If I started writing it back in 2012, that's when it really kicked off. Thank you very much. Would you like to give me another number, please? Oh right, um, number fourteen, please. Have you ever been on television or radio? Both, actually. Ooh. I've been on um, a couple of radio quiz shows, Counterpoint on Radio 4, 
twice. And in 2016, I appeared on Only Connect, the BBC quiz show that's presented by Victoria Corrin Mitchell. That's the lateral thinking one where uh, the questions are uh, range from uh, very difficult to downright impossible. Yeah, you, you're a braver person than I am. I've I've watched Only Connect a number of times and uh, I, I'm not sure I would be uh, an ideal candidate. Well, there's no such thing as an ideal candidate, really. I mean, when I, I, It was a friend of mine who was putting a team together and uh, I said, oh, well, you know, if you're stuck with somebody, I'll, I'll come along. Um, and he said, oh, yes, that's fine. And he said, oh, will you be captain? I said, why? He said, well, because it'll look better if you're sitting in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> BBC Balance. BBC Balance, yes. It was great fun. And, and Vicky is a delightful person. She's just as fun and friendly off, the, off camera as she is on it. But uh, we didn't make it beyond the first round, but it was, it was fun. And I did manage to do a passable impression of Captain Mannering in answer to one of the questions. You can't drop that and not not give us an impression. Oh, stupid boy! <laughs> well, that was the, the answer. That was the answer to the question. Things <laughs> got apt in this situation. Thank you. <laughs> okay, can I have another number, please? Um, twenty-one, please. Twenty-one is. If our lives were cartoons, which cartoon would you like it to be, and why? Oh, crikey. Um, probably a cross between Tom and Jerry and the Wacky Racers. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds dangerous. Yes. <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm not really well up on um, present-day cartoons. I hear um, uh, occasional mention of you know, Captain Marvel and the like, but I'm not really into that sort of thing. So my, so my knowledge of cartoons is limited to my childhood and teenage memories but I, I i did enjoy the wacky races very much and um, so yeah maybe the wacky races i'm not quite sure what one i'd be though uh, probably probably um dick dastardly and the ant hill mob combined <laughs> who's uh, who's the muttley to your dick dastardly who's muttley probably a friend from school um whose name is leslie and she, she could do a very very good muttley impression so uh but, and, and she had a great sense of humour. So, uh, yes, Leslie it will be. Okay, can I have another number, please? Um, we'll have 25 this time, please. 25 is... What's the most useful thing you own? The most useful thing I own is probably my husband, actually. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say I own him, but uh, he's what you might call a domestic god. Very um, helpful, supportive... Um, excellent cook. His threshold for mess is a lot lower than mine, so he tends to clear up before I get around to it. And, uh, well, yeah, I mean, we've been together for 40-odd years now, so uh, we must be doing something right. Okay, so a little break between the random questions now. And Sue, talk, talk me through, you've, you've told me that you uh, you started writing because you wanted to write the book you wanted to read. Yeah. What's your typical process when you're, when you're writing, when you're starting to put your words down? Right, well, I'll start by making some notes by hand in a notebook, or more likely on the back of an envelope, of um, a few basic plot ideas. And then I'll go to the computer and just start writing. Um. I try not to edit as I go along. I try and get the words down first, because uh, although you know, one of the most useful pieces of advice I was given by a, a writer friend was, you can always go back 
afterwards and edit what you've written, but you can't edit a blank page. So get the words down um, and then go from there. And don't submit a first draft because your writing will go through several revisions before it's ready to to submit to a publisher or if you're self-publishing, um, which a lot of people do these days, you need to um, get it properly edited by a professional editor, ideally. So once the first draft's finished, I'll, I'll put it aside for a week or so, I think, uh, and then go back to it later with hopefully fresh eyes um, spot things that I'd missed before, typos, continuity errors, plot holes, you know, loose ends left dangling and so on. Once I'm happy with the, the revised version, I'll send it out to um, beta readers who will read through it and comment on anything that doesn't work for them. Like if there's a massive continuity error, which I'd missed, um, or factual errors even, those tend to creep in if you're not careful. Once it's come back, have another go at the manuscript, taking account of what people have said. Now, I, I use the principle, once is an opinion, twice is an accident or a coincidence, three times is definitely a message. Now, if, if one person says, oh, I don't like this, um, if it is only one person, try to find out why, why it didn't work for them. And in a lot of cases, it's just an opinion and it's not a deal breaker. But um, dealing with criticism, well, you just have to develop a thick skin, really. In this day and age of internet comments and everything else, you must get a lot of feedback on the work that you do. How do you how do you approach that? I'll try not to look at it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if somebody says, oh, I really liked your book and I've left a review, I'll go and look at that. But um, I, I try not to become obsessed by what people have said about my books. Uh, if, if I worried about every single thing everybody said, I, I don't think I'd ever get out of bed in the morning. It sounds like a healthy approach, yeah. Yeah. Well, having said that, um, I'm seeing this from both sides. I won't give bad feedback on a book myself unless it is so bad that people need to be warned about it. Um, I mean, I can think of one or two who fit in, that fit into that category, but uh, least less said about them, the better, I think. <laughs> okay, right. Shall we, uh, shall we move on with some more questions? Uh, yep, yeah, right. Another number. Um 34, please. All right, 34. If you had six hours to prepare everything you needed to survive for one year on a deserted island, what would you choose? Right, that's a difficult one. Um, in terms of basic survival skills, you mean, or essentials or what? you got six hours. Six hours, you, right. You decide, um, yep. Okay. Um, well, a, a selection of all-weather clothing, I think, a lot of sunscreen, because I get uh, sunburnt quite easily. Some basic medicines. A, a good botany book, I think, so I don't know what plants were dangerous and uh, what I could eat. A few tools, um, a tent, a camping stove and a, and a pan. What else would I need? Um, I, I presume I wouldn't need a passport. but uh, No, you would be I, okay. I, we're, we're just going to abandon you. There's no customs check. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd take the passport anyway in case I got rescued. Good I'd point. need to be able to get back home, wouldn't I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I own a boat. I'd have to have a boat of some description. A little boat just to go out and uh, and fish. Yes, I need a fishing rod too. Uh, not that I'm any good at fishing, I, I say. Maybe a net would be better. 
Okay, thank you very much. Uh, do you want to give me another number? Um, 42, please. The answer to life, the universe and everything. Ah, excellent. 42. If you could teleport, where would you go? Uh, on this planet or anywhere else? Anywhere, anywhere at all. You can, you can go right now. Right. Um, well, if it was on this planet, I'd go to Australia because I've got family there. And I love to go and see them, but the journey is a real faff. Um, if it was anywhere else, I'd quite like to have a look at Mars, I think, just to um, to see if there are little green men up there. And uh, and if there are, whether they are, they're, they're probably a darn sight more intelligent than we are. I, I'd like to assume I could I could converse with them. I'd see if they if they've looked for us in the way that we've looked for them, and if so, what they think about us. I mean, we must provide them with goodness knows how much entertainment. I mean, have you seen that cartoon of the aliens um, looking at Earth from the spaceship? Um, and it's in November, I think. And one's saying to the other, last month they were lobotomizing pumpkins. <laughs> and this month they're stuffing bread up a turkey's behind. This planet has issues. <laughs> Is that something you'd be tempted to write about? Extraterrestrial science fiction? Possibly. I'd have to read up a bit more about it, really. It's not something I've ever tackled. Um, and a friend of mine has written a wonderful science fiction trilogy called Terza. Terza by Kay Slutemek. Highly recommended. It's, I think it's only available on Kindle at the moment, but she's taken the premise that Earth dies and the last human is rescued and is taken to live somewhere else. Um, and I honestly don't think I could improve on that. On balance, I'd probably leave that to the experts. Okay, thank you. Right, so your next number, please. Um, we'll go for number 50 this time, please. What is your opinion on clowns? Scary. Scary and not particularly funny. Years and years ago as a child when I went to the circus, they scared the hell out of me. They're, I know they're supposed to amuse and entertain and so on, but they just look so ugh, you know, creepy. Having said that... Um, I appreciate that they're extremely clever because they have to look clumsy but be very agile so they can fall without hurting themselves and doing all those clever, complicated acts in clunky costumes, stupid shoes and in some cases masks um, must take some doing. And I couldn't even do that you know, straight, let alone uh, rigged up like that. So mixed feelings about clowns, really. I, I think they're terrifying nightmare beasts, and I wouldn't go near one if you paid me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't, I haven't done for years, so that's <laughs> explain it. <laughs> okay, uh, what is it? Oh, what's your final number? Um, sixty-two, please. Right, sixty-two is. If you could create a new animal, what would it look like? Ooh, um. It would probably have four legs, a tail, a horn, but I'm not sure where. Okay. Yeah. Big, uh, whether it's on its forehead or on its nose, I'm thinking of rhinos and unicorns here, and probably big blue eyes, and it could talk. What would it say? Hello. <laughs> and where would it live? Where would it live? Um, oh, probably in my garden shed. Okay. But I have to clear all the rubbish out first. What are you going to call it? What am I going to call it? Well, male or female. Um, if it's female, <laughs> I'd 
call it Gloria. Um, and if it's male, I'd probably call it Fred. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thanks, Sue, for joining me today on the Lunch Fox podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Very much. I hope you did. I hope I haven't uh, confused your listeners too much. No, not at all. I think that's that's the premise, really. That's what we're here for. Uh, Sue's latest book, Finding Nina, is was made available on the 3rd of June. Where can uh, people go and get that if they want to read? Um, it's available on Amazon in ebook and paperback format, as are all my books. Okay, thank you very much, Sue. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much, Andy. And uh, we'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of the Lunchbox Podcast. If you want to get in touch, then you can uh, you can tweet us at Lunchbox Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, Instagram using the same handle. And uh, we'll be back then. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>